Hey guys, this is Everything Missing or Murdered podcast. My name is Andrea. I hope everyone's having a great day today. This is going to be my fifth time trying to record this um, because I keep screwing up talking, so I apologize. Fifth time's a charm, right? Um, so today is going to be two cases instead of just one. Um, they're not very long. They're older cases as well. They don't connect at all, but it's important to talk about them because they're unsolved. They've never been found. Um, and one of them, it just sounds like they were completely forgotten. And I, that's just so unfortunate to me and and sad. Um, and I understand that some people don't like older cases. So if this is not for you, um, that's fine. But for me, I enjoy them because, um, I, they need to be talked about just as much as a newer missing persons or unsolved murder case. Um, because it, you know, it's important to know what happened to them and the family deserves answers and the family deserves to know where they are so they can properly bury them if, you know, that's what happened or you bring them home, you know. Um, so that's why I'm doing that. So let's get into it. Joanne Hansen was wanting to go meet her sisters at the World's Fair in Seattle, Washington, but she never made it. On August 10th, 1962, in King County, Washington, Joanne was talking on the phone with a friend named Patricia Martin and suddenly was um, saying, oh my God, he's in the basement. He's coming. Joanne then screamed and the line went dead. I'm, can you imagine being that friend? And I would think it was a joke, but I'd also be really worried about my friend. Patricia called her back several times and at first no one would pick up the phone. But after more calls, Joanne's husband, Robert, they were estranged at the time, or Bob Hansen, picked up the phone and Patricia asked where Joanne was. And Bob said, oh, she's with you. Why would she call you if she was with her? That doesn't make sense. Joanne Hansen has never been heard from again and all of her things were left behind. Her car was found abandoned weeks after she went missing in the Queen Anne Hill neighborhood of Seattle. The windows were rolled down, the tires were flat, and the interior was dusty, filthy, and cluttered with stuff such as empty bottles, food wrappers, and cigarette butts. There were no usable fingerprints and no sign of foul play and no evidence as to what happened to Joanne or where she could be. She would normally keep her car neat, so seeing something like that would be alarming, I think. The police conducted a search of the area, and there was nothing that came about it. Joanne's parents hired a private detective, but that detective was unable to find anything either. Joanne married a man she went to school with and had two kids by him, but her first marriage ended in divorce after their daughter died of sudden infant death syndrome, or SIDS, which, yeah, that can cause so many problems. And Joanne had an affair with another man. At this time, she was in the hospital for a short amount of time for emotional problems caused by stress. After Joanne divorced her first husband, she married a man named Robert or Bob Hansen. He worked as a carpenter and a fisherman. They had two more sons and one daughter in their first three years of marriage. Bob abused Joanne's eldest son when he was around six years old, injuring him so badly that he could not walk. The boy stayed with Patricia Martin, Joanne's friend, for two months, and then his actual dad filed for custody. Yeah, I I would do that too. Bob physically abused Joanne a lot as well, even while she was pregnant, and their children were afraid of him, for a good reason, it would seem. 
She told Patricia she was afraid for her life. Bob refused to let her tell the kids about any of their family members on her side. And then um, they didn't even, I mean, they didn't even know about the oldest son and what happened to him. So that's, that's like classic abuse there. Like not just physically, but mentally. In May 1962, Joanne moved in with Patricia and went to an attorney, told him about the abuse, showed him her bruises and filed for divorce. She and Bob fought a lot over the division of the assets, which from what I can tell was $300,000. And on August 8th, Joanne got a restraining order against Bob. The restraining order said he had to leave the house in order for Joanne to move back. That seems pretty reasonable. Two days later, Joanne Hansen disappeared. Bob reported her missing on August 15th. Joanne's attorney continued the divorce action despite her being missing. On November 21st, the divorce was granted. Bob denied abusing Joanne and accused her of stealing $8,000 from him and tried to keep all the property and assets, but the judge ruled that there was enough evidence to indicate Joanne had been abused by her, by her husband. Joanne Hansen was giving 40% of the marital property, and Bob got 60%. The court ordered that if she did not return alive, her share would be held in trust for her kids until they came of age. Joanne's share of the property, however, would eventually come under Bob's control and their kids got nothing. I mean, that's, that's really sad. Joanne Hansen did not use her social security after her disappearance or left any kind of paper trail. She was declared legally dead in 1975. Bob Hansen raised their kids alone and made a lot of money off of his construction business and with rental properties he owned. Bob was arrested a lot over the years for assaulting people and destroying property in anger. Once he advertised for a housekeeper and when a woman responded to the ad, he kept her on his property against her will for three days before she escaped. That's just insane. The police suspected that Bob was the Green River Killer, a serial killer who killed women and um, was in the Seattle Tacoma area and was also responsible for a lot of disappearances as well as murders. The Green River Killer was eventually found to be Gary Ridgway. Robert spent years traveling back and forth between Washington State and Costa Rica. He had relationships with women in Costa Rica and got married and divorced, probably more than once. He was denied Costa Rican citizenship and moved back to the U.S. for good. Joanne and Bob's kids grew up thinking that Joanne had left them. Joanne and Bob's daughter became addicted to drugs and died of an overdose in the 1980s. I, I can't imagine, like, with her not knowing what happened to her mom and then thinking her mom abandoned them. It's just that's so depressing. Their two sons, who describe Bob as a very abusive, now think he murdered their mom. The police have considered him a person of interest in her case pretty much the whole time. Bob died by taking his own life in Auburn, Washington in August 2009, leaving an estate worth $5 million. Bob Hansen never faced any charges for Joanne Hansen's disappearance. Bob had a will and it said that if Joanne was alive, she was to inherit nothing. He also disinherited his kids by the time of his death. He had been estranged from them for a while. In December 2009, his son, um, both his sons filed a wrongful death suit against Bob's estate saying that he had caused their mom's death. They were awarded $100,000 in damages. 
There were rumors that Joanne was buried beneath a barn on a farm in the Kent Valley along the Green River on property that Bob's family had once owned. The barn had originally had a dirt floor for a concrete floor. Um, well, dirt floor, but a concrete floor was poured when she went missing, which I think is a huge red flag when that happens, but it could be just nothing. The farm was taken down since then, and then um, in 2006, at Joanne's son's request, the police examined the road with ground-penetrating radar. No evidence was found, and Joanne Hansen's case is still unsolved. Um, now, I went on Amazon because I heard that Anne Rule wrote um, in a book about this case that had, like, a lot of cases in it, and... I couldn't wait for the book itself to come, so I, I heard that there was an audio for it. I don't normally like audio stuff, but, <coughs> excuse me, but, because I'd rather read it, but I didn't want to wait. And apparently Anne Rule lived in the same town where Joanne Hansen lived. Um, and she did not know about her disappearance, and she didn't know for decades until one of Joanne's sons approached her and asked her to help. And um, apparently, one of her kids actually went to school with one of um, Anne Rule's kids, and then Anne Rule's kids knew the other kids as well. And uh, Anne Rule talks about how the the kids were trying to find their mom and um, so many people in town seemed to have forgotten about her and were like, oh, wasn't she the woman killed by her husband and buried under the cement? I mean, even if that happened. Sorry, that voice you heard. I live on a military base, so it's it's annoying when that happens, so I apologize. Um, anyway, so so, yeah, I mean, even if she was buried under the cement, she still deserves to be found. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. And, but yeah, basically the part about Joanne Hansen and Anne Rule's book is basically everything that I've already said. Um, just the fact that she was just, she was so sad that she didn't know about the fact that Joanne was missing for this long and she could have done whatever she could at the time to help because she has a background as um, in the in law enforcement and um, she's a true crime writer. So she said she could have done something to help. So she felt bad. She felt guilty, actually, which is I understand. I feel guilty. I mean, I don't have any um, background in any of this stuff, but I want to help people. So it's just sad when you can't. So I understand. I completely understand. Um, but yeah, so basically that's where the, the case stands today. Um, but yeah, if you want to, if you want to read the book that, that, uh, Anne Rule wrote, it's, it's really good, um, from listening to it. Anyway, she, she has a lot of interesting books. I'm not sure if the true crime community even really likes her that much. I don't normally read a lot of her books. Um, but this one, I was like, oh, well, she's a true crime writer. I might as well check it out. Um, it's, it's, so it's, uh, Don't Look Behind You, Volume 15, and I don't remember what chapter it is, because the chapters are weird, like, on the Audible, it, it had all the chapters listed, but each chapter was, 
less than what it said or more than what it said. So like, it'll say chapter two and it'll be chapter one, you know? So I can't remember exactly what chapter it is, but it's more like in the middle of the book. Um, but yeah, so that's basically everything I have on that case, unfortunately. And yeah, like I said, I know it's older and I know, and I don't necessarily think that, um, Bob Hansen, you know, I can't say he killed her or anything because we don't know and we'll probably never know because, um, he died and took whatever he knew with him. Um, but I still think it's important to mention it and I mean... Not all abusive relationships end in murder. But why was he there? I mean, he had a restraining order on him. He shouldn't have been there. She, she, this shouldn't have happened. He has to know something. But he never, he never said anything. He always maintained his innocence on that. So he said he left, she, uh, that she left. So, and made the kids believe that she left them. That's really unfortunate. Um, Joanne Hansen was 30 years old at the time of her disappearance. She is 5'8 and 120 pounds. Joanne has brown hair and brown eyes. And one of the things I remember listening to in the book um, by Anne Rule, the son that came to her to ask for help, he, at the time that this book was written, I think he was like in his 50s, and he said, um, I don't remember what my mom looked like, and I don't I'm older than how old she is. I'm older than her. So <laughs> that's really depressing. And yeah, so let's uh, get into the next one here. Um, on April 4th, 1991, in Clinton, Missouri, Angela Hammond was at a telephone booth talking to her fiancé, Rob Schaefer, at around 11.45 p.m. The phone booth was located in a parking lot outside Food Barn in the center of town in the area of Jefferson Street and 2nd Street. Angela was telling him she was too tired to meet with him as they had planned and she was going to go home and take a bath. She also said a suspicious man was circling the parking lot in an old truck. She said the person was filthy and bearded. She said he parked his truck by the booth and got out of got out with a flashlight as if he was trying to look for something. In the middle of the com, uh, conversation, Angela screamed, then the line went dead. Her car was found in the parking lot, but no sign of Angela. Rob Schaefer drove to the phone booth. He said on his way to the phone booth that he passed a late 1960s or early 1970s model green Ford F-150 pickup truck and heard Angela scream his name. Bob followed the truck for uh, two miles on 2nd Street and Culver Drive, but his car's transmission failed and he had to stop driving. I can't imagine going through that. That's insane. Rob said the truck he saw had a decal of water or an outdoor scene completely covering the rear window, a white top, and damage to its left front fender. Witnesses said they saw a Caucasian male drawing a, a drawing excuse me driving a similar truck near the telephone booth at the time Angela Hammond went missing they said this man was wearing coveralls and a dark colored baseball hat he had glasses a beard and a mustache this man has never been named or identified angela's case could possibly be linked to two other missouri women Cheryl Kenny, who was a convenience store worker that went missing after locking up her store in Nevada, Missouri, 70 miles from Max Creek on February 27, 1991. Trudy Darby, another convenience store worker in Max Creek, Missouri, 
was taken from her work her work on January 19, 1991. This was six weeks before Angela went missing. The store was found to be robbed of $220. Trudy Darby was 42 years old and worked alone in the convenience store. She called her son to say there was a suspicious man hanging out outside. Trudy's son came to the store but found it was empty. Trudy Darby was found nude in the little Niangua River two days later. She had been shot twice in the head with a shotgun. Two brothers, Jesse Rush and Marvin Cheney, were later convicted of the robbery and Trudy Darby's rape and murder. Cheryl Kenny was 30 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was last seen wearing a blue sweatshirt, a blue denim jacket, blue jeans, and white shoes. Cheryl has light brown hair and green eyes. Cheryl's hair was bleach blonde at the time of her disappearance, though. Cheryl has mole removal scars on her chest and upper left arm and a scar on her wrist. On February 27, 1991, Cheryl Kenny was working at Quality Convenience Store on Business 71 Highway in Nevada, Missouri. She worked until midnight, but it was a slow night and she decided to close the store early. Cheryl's time card shows that she clocked out of work at 10 p.m. and she set the store alarm at 10.17 p.m. She never made it home and has never been heard from again. Her white Chevrolet was found abandoned in the store parking lot. The store's janitor left a few minutes before Cheryl closed up. He said there were not any customers' cars in the parking lot when he left, but there was a male customer inside the store, and he did not recognize him. Now, walking customers were not unusual, as there were a lot of hotels within walking distance. The customer was not identified, and it is not clear whether he had anything to do with her disappearance. But, you know, it would have been nice uh, to find out who he is and so they can question him to see if he saw anything, though. Seems to be the last person there with her besides the janitor. Since Cheryl closed the store before she went missing, it is not likely that there was anyone still inside the store when she left. It would have been against store policy for her to have let anyone in after closing. So what I'm thinking is right when she was done closing, that's when she was taken. Uh, because two witnesses in the area said they heard a woman scream right around the time Cheryl Kenny would have gone out to her car. The witnesses did not go to the police, however, until days later after they read about her in the newspapers. The police thought she left on her own. Her mom had recently passed away and she was upset about it. She was only carrying $6 when she went missing and it would not be like her to leave her husband and two kids. Her dad was also sick. So yeah, it would not make sense for her to leave at all. Plus, I never believe that. I mean, I, I totally understand taking a break or escaping from something, but to just not talk to anyone ever is not likely to me, especially her kids. There were similarities between um, Trudy Darby's murder, Angela's abduction, and Cheryl Kenny's disappearance. There is no hard proof to actually link these cases, but it's important to mention anyway. There are some unconfirmed sightings of Angela Hammond in a lot of states and in Canada. At the time she went missing, she looked... Um, she worked in a bank and also had some classes at Central Missouri State University in Warrensburg, Missouri. I saw on Unsolved.com that Angela's fiancé, Rob Schaefer, 
said that Angela told him the man used a phone next to her, got back in his truck, and looked at something with a flashlight. Rob apparently told her to ask if the man needs to use the phone because, you know, maybe the phone next to her did not work. The man said no, he would try again in a minute. So that's a little more detail about the situation, but just really crazy. The police had some assistance from the Missouri State Highway Patrol that did a computer search on all registered vehicles that were... And there were 1,600 possibilities to check as far as color and if there was any mural in the back window. Can you imagine? That seems like a lot to look at. Oh, geez. But there was never any matches, so maybe the truck was not registered or the guy was out of state. Not really sure. The police did consider Rob Schaefer as a suspect because no witnesses could back up his story about the scream from the truck. But he was cleared pretty quickly. I also saw that they suspected a serial killer was in the area as well. On the 30th anniversary of Angela Hammond's disappearance, there was some new details that was released to the public. The police had a theory that Angela Hammond was mistaken for another woman who was targeted in the aftermath of her dad's legal affairs. This man had acted as an informant in a narcotics case and received a note threatening the life of his daughter, who was also named Angela. Which, what? The note was sent on April 4th, 1991, the day that Angela Hammond was taken. The police think, since they have the same name and look similar, that the two women were mixed up and Angela Hammond was mistakenly taken. As of April 2021, this is still being investigated. Um, yeah, that one sounds more reasonable. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not reasonable that a serial killer did it, but I don't know. It could have been a random attack or it could have been this. Um, you know, most theories hurt cases rather than help them. But since the police are actually investigating, like really investigating this one, it, that might have happened. I mean, I hope not, but I also don't know what could have happened to her. And it's just a really unfortunate situation. Um, Angela Hammond was four months pregnant at the time of her disappearance. And... I hope her family and Rob gets some answers soon. I mean, he was supposed to marry her, so that's just... And they were going to have a child. It's a mess. She needs to be found so she can be brought home. I can't imagine what it's like to go through this. And there's so many people out there that do, unfortunately. And um, But going this long without knowing what happened, they deserve to know. They deserve to bring her home. If you have any information, please call the Clinton Police Department at 660-885-5561. And that's all I have for this case, um, both of these cases. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode, and um, I will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening.